Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. I hope this morning that you sense God speaking to your heart, um, loving you, caring for you, and that in response, your heart of adoration for who He is, um, that your love for Him would grow, and that you would behold the King. I'm glad that you're joining us today at Summit Church. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in Advent season looking toward Christmas. Christmas is the season when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, King Jesus. Um, This morning, if you're here in the worship center or you are joining us online, we are glad that that you are here. It's good to be together. Take your Bibles to the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. It's our text this morning. We are in a series entitled, Behold the King. We looked last week at the prophecy of of the Lord, who is our righteousness. Here's some good news. Jesus Christ is coming. He's our righteous king. He was prophesied all these years ago. And then today we're celebrating the the promise that was fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. And we know now that not only did he come to earth, he lived his life. He died as a, a sacrifice for our sin, paying the price for our sin. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he's going to come back again, this time not Uh, as a child, not as an infant, not in a manger, but the book of Revelation describes his coming as being that of a king riding a horse uh, with with victory, and and the world will know that he is the king, king of kings and lord of lords. So that is the good news. That is the good news that Jesus Christ has come to earth. He's coming again. He is a righteous king. Today we're talking about the fulfillment of that prophecy in Jesus Christ. Now, let me just start this morning by seeing how well, how much you know about uh, the common copper penny that we use as currency. So without looking at it, you may have a penny in your pocket. We used to say to our kids, I'll give you a penny for a thought I'll give you a nickel for a kiss. I'll give you a dime if you tell me that you love me. And so a lot of times I'd be handing out pennies and nickels and dimes to my kids, and I want to know what's in their head. What are you thinking about? Tell, give me a, here's a penny for your thought. And um, here's a nickel for a kiss. Here's, here's a dime if you tell me that you love me. Um, a penny. It's a common, um, common currency. Without looking, can you name the word that is imprinted on our one-cent piece? To the left of Lincoln's profile on a penny is a word. What is it? Do you know which way Lincoln is facing on a penny? Or how about this? On the tail side of the penny is an image of what? You say, oh, a building. What building? What building? And then there's some initials next to it. What are they? Whose, whose initials are they? You, you know, you've all seen a penny, right? You've all seen a penny. You know what a penny looks like, but I'll bet that most of you could not answer all of 
those questions about a penny. You see, we don't really look at what we think we know. We know what a penny is. So if it's true about a penny, we've seen a penny, we think we know what it is, and oftentimes we fail to really see all that is really all that's going on there. If that's true of a penny, think about what happens when we look at Jesus and think we know all about who he really is. And in these days, we're trying to set our eyes, our focus, our gaze on who Jesus is to behold the king. To behold the king. It's one thing to to witness uh, a manger scene and to realize that Christ was born. He's a, we talked about that manger throne. But to realize in that manger is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Behold your king. We look at Jesus. We think we know him. But I think we take too much for granted. In John's gospel, the apostle tells us that the fullness of Jesus provides grace upon grace. It's grace that just keeps on bubbling up. When you look at G, one of the you think about Jesus, it's it's his grace to us. He's an eternal fountain of life with the with the boundless radiance of, of his majesty. And yet our ordinary image of Jesus oftentimes is like that of a penny. We know him, we've looked at who he is, but even in our looking, have we really seen him? I love that example um, that I found in Jared Wilson's book. He also is, he's written a book entitled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. And <clears throat> Pastor Chuck the other day came in and plopped that book on my desk, uh, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. I wondered what he was telling me, right? What was the, what was the message behind all that? Well, interesting, in that book, the author uses the word behold. We've been talking about behold the king. And even though the word look and behold are similar, um, he began to draw some, some distinctions. Psalm 63 verse 2 says it this way, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. John chapter 1 verse 29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so John the Baptist is baptizing people and he's, he's the forerunner of, of the Christ. He's um, the one that's telling people that, that, that Jesus is coming. There's this, this promised Messiah. And at some point, John is baptizing people, and, and he sees Jesus coming over, and he stops, and he says, Look, folks, I'm just going to tell you this. Behold, behold, watch him, see him, look at him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold is a powerful word. It tells us what kind of seeing we ought to be seeing. It tells us to more than look, but to behold. It tells us to consider whatever it is we're seeing, consider it greatly, to fixate on it, to, to hold it dearly and clearly in our vision. It's more than just coming to, to, to church and listening to a preacher. It's hearing Christ. It's more than seeing a pastor it's beholding Christ I think that sometimes we're guilty of looking at Jesus but not beholding him too often we come looking to Jesus for a, a pick-me-up um, you know that that Jesus somehow is is a pick-me-up it said 
Jesus offers us his flesh, his life for our life. We're thinking that he may be a, a good life coach. And what we really need is to behold his glory. So what, what advice do you have for me? What counsel can you give me? He goes, listen, I want to transform your life. If you see me, if you know me, if you, if you behold me, he says, I will change your life. And that's the point, really, to see Jesus, to behold him and to become like him. To see him high and lifted up, rightfully adored. You see the Lord. <laughs> to behold him and then to become more like him. Sad but true, we often miss the forest for the trees. We miss the glory of the Lord in the picture of, we, of who we think he is. Jesus right in front of us, and many times we don't see him. Every day you encounter God, and yet many times we overlook him. Our earthly interests have dulled our spiritual senses. Life tends to drain our capacity for beholding the glory of the Lord. There's times we get so caught up with important stuff that we're doing that we forget the wonder of who God is. We get so... Uh, entrapped in, in the surroundings of our world that we forget that this whole world is being held in his hands. And if he lets go, this thing flies apart in a gazillion pieces in a millisecond. And to think somehow that all I'm doing and, in this world isn't somehow connected to a greater vision of who God is is to miss the point. And so many times we let little things become big things and the big things become little our view of a great god is diminished when we focus on the puny things of life we turn to the media and all of its sources because we think the next tick or the next talk or the next click will be a newer more vital more exciting, more entertaining, more applicable to our situation kind of breaking news. Here is the breaking news. Behold the king. Behold the king. Our screens give us a lot to look at, very little to see. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So listen, this whole idea of, of, of beholding, him, beholding him and becoming more like him is a real thing. That when you see who he is and you gaze upon him and you understand more and you, and you, and you understand um, the, the, the majesty of, of who he is and the, and the holiness of his nature and, and the kindness of of, of his heart and, the, and, and the, the love of his motives. And, and we, we understand who he is. We behold him. We believe in him and we become more like him. We need to see Christ as bigger. You'll have a short-sighted view of culture if you don't behold his glory. And you'll have a short-sighted view of Christ if you don't behold his glory. You know, it is hard to worship God. It's, it's hard, no, let me say this. It's hard to worship big if you have a puny God. It's hard to worship big if you have a puny God. Folks, 
there's a day coming. Uh, Isaiah wrote about it early in Isaiah where he, he, he talked about, he says, the, 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 the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord. And, and then he described the angels, those who were in the presence of God on a regular basis. He says they had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. Two, um, they flew. And two, they covered their feet. That when they beheld who he was, he worshipped. When, when you behold who God is, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. By the way, that song was written by um, a, a lady, uh, Helen Lemel. Helen Lemel, I believe, was her name, who was blind. Turn, here's what she said in the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. A blind lady. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And my guess is that you and I spend more time concerned about the things of earth and the things that get us down than we do concerning ourselves, beholding the king, the glory of who he is. And Jesus said, look at me, trust in me, put your hope in me. I think it was Ray Ortland who once exhorted his congregation to stare at the glory of God until you see it. There are too many people still trying to focus on other things. What will you do when you see the king? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, tell the story of the Magi, the wise men. Matthew 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So the angels in Luke 2, in Luke's account, the angels are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. Remember the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm going to, I'm today, this, today uh, the city of David, a Savior, has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And so the, the shepherds hurry off, and they go see Jesus in Bethlehem. And, and, and they bow down and they worship him. Now, this passage of Scripture is sometime later, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, those who... Were, were wise and learned. They were Greeks. They weren't Jews. These were, these were not Jews. They were wise men. They were often, they, they, they studied uh, astronomy. Uh, they were, they watched the skies, the stars. They came from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They knew, they, had, they were well learned, they, they knew that there was a king that was going to be born. They knew the prophecy. And now they were living in their lifetime the promised Messiah was coming. He was there. They saw the star. They researched it. They studied. They learned. They saw. They were paying attention. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. So we've come to worship him. And Herod is Disturbed, he's the king. And he says, what, what, is, what, the, what, what, what king are you worshiping? It says, all, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them 
where this Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So right there in Bethlehem. <clears throat> Remember, that's the place that um, Joseph and Mary had to go to because uh, in Caesar Augustus had issued a decree that every citizen was supposed to go to their town to register. So Joseph and Mary went up from Judea, Bethlehem, to, to Bethlehem, from, from Galilee to, to Judea to Bethlehem, to the city of David, because he was the house in the line of David. He had to register there. So now they're in Bethlehem. Jesus was born. And Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. When did this show up? And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Right. Worship him? Eliminate him is more like it. And after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it didn't go ahead of them anymore. It stopped. It stopped over the place where the child was. Now, this is not the place where Christ was born. Those that are studying this out in timelines think that Christ may have been somewhere between 6 and 18 months old at this point. This isn't the manger scene. That was the shepherds. This is the wise men. And on coming to the house, remember Christ was born in, and, and, and they were headed to Bethlehem for the census, and there was no place. The city was flooded, and so they went to the innkeeper, no place, and they made their, their home, um, the manger, and a place for housing animals, a humble birthplace. We talk about that. Um, that was the first scene with the shepherds. This is the second. They saw the star, and they were overjoyed. When it stopped over the place where the child was, they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, see, Jesus and Mary, the baby wasn't born in a house, he was born in a manger stall, so this is later. They saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. When they saw the child, behold the king. What was their response? They bowed down and worshipped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The wise men. I want you to see just some observations about these wise men. First of all, they gave their time and they investigated the king. They gave their time. They were busy studying. They were active in what they were doing. Not only that, when they, after they had done their studying and, and, and all of that, they, they, there was a point where the star appeared, and then they studied some more, and they said, okay, there's going to be a star appearing. Here's the star. Here's what's happening, what's going on. They trace it all back. Now they said, okay, where's, wh what do we do with this? And they, they invested their time, and they saw the star. They identified that a king was born there in verse 2, and they followed the star to get the story. They went looking for a king. They gave their time. They investigated the king. Here's the second thing. They gave their talents. They identified the king. So they're watching the heavens. 
They knew when the star appeared. They investigated what had been written about the king. They're, they're, they're watching. They knew when it rose. And they didn't worship the star, but they studied the star. They gave their talents. That was, they were, they were off, the, the wise men in, in, in astronomy, they were watching the stars. They were, they were learned men in this area. And said, well, what's going on here? Now that doesn't belong here. Now there's a star. Why is a star? They trace it back. Um, you know, the Jewish people formed them. You know, what's going to go on? There's this king born, and, and, and you know, this will be a sign. All this stuff is going on. And, and, and they invested, uh, or they identified the king, and they used their talents. Time, an investigated king. Talents, identified the king. Now notice this. They gave their treasure, and they invested in the king. They invested their research, or their resources to find Jesus. So not only did they invest their time and their talents, but their resources, they had, to, they had to go a long distance. They were wise men from the east. And now here they are showing up, and they're talking to, you know, the Jews in, in Judea, and now in Bethlehem, and they're following the star on their own dime. They came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem. They invested their resources to honor Jesus. They knew this was a special birth. This was not something ordinary. And they invested their resources to bless Jesus. It says they saw the young child. Some, com again, commentators believe that, you know, uh, a young child, somewhere between 6 and 18 months, they bow down, they give honor, and they offer gifts. And notice their gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold talks about the value. or the, it, it, Gold is connected to royalty. It's a, it's, a, it's a gift fitted for a king. Frankincense speaks of divinity. Uh, it, was, it was an incense that was used in worship. It's, it has to do with divinity. Myrrh was one of the ointments that they used at, at, at burial time. Isn't it interesting? That here gold... Here is a king, frankincense, divinity, um, you know, a, a, a king, uh, here it is in flesh and blood, a, a gift for royalty. There's also this whole idea of divinity, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, they, they ex, it, you know, extended that to who Christ was. Myrrh, interesting enough, has to do, when you think back on this, the fact that Christ was born to die to pay the price for our sin. So let me, just, let me just talk for a second about giving their treasure. Here's an application point for us that may help us. When those wise men came, they gave those gifts to Jesus. They were presented to Jesus himself. However, undeniably, this infant Jesus, six to 18 months old, did not use or spend any of those precious gifts on himself, right? A six-year-old doesn't know what to do with gold and frankincense and myrrh. In the same way, though, his parents used them, hopefully wisely, on his behalf and benefit. Here's the application. I hope this helps you. In the same way, when we give our time and our talents and our treasure to Jesus today, in our hearts, I'm sure it is true of you, it is true, it's, it's in my heart, I'm giving that to Jesus. I'm giving my, my talent my time and my treasure, my tithe. I'm giving that to Jesus. I'm giving it to him. Um, and yet, even though we give it to him directly, it goes through the hands of, of other people who use those gifts on, on behalf of Christ for his namesake, and hopefully they do it wisely. 
And so that's why, for example, on a Sunday morning, I can introduce people to you and say, listen, this person is, is following Christ and, and, and the, God's will for their life, and they're serving in this way. And, and we can bless them with an offering. We can give to Jesus, but it's going, you know, in our hearts. We're giving to Jesus. Or if you give to a church, you're giving to Jesus, directly to Jesus. My heart, I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm being obedient to his word. I'm following what he's told me to do. I'm being faithful in, in that. So that, that I'm giving it to Jesus, but it's, it's being used on his behalf. They were useful to Joseph in the following months. It helped him with travel costs. Remember, he's having to avoid a king who was after his son's life. So travel costs. They, they, they ended up traveling all the way to, to Egypt and had to get back to Galilee. It helped Joseph and Mary maintain their precious purpose of caring for their son and our Savior as a part of God's plan for the gospel mission. So what those wise men gave, those, that gold and that frankincense and myrrh, it was used to help continue the process of, of, of Christ um, and, and the purpose of Christ. And, and aren't you glad that it did? Because when he, he came, when he fulfilled what he came on earth to do, it affects us. It paid the price for our sin. Gifts invested in the kingdom bring in earthly influence and eternal impact. It, it helps to peop, help people here and now, but also there is eternal impact. Our Heavenly Father, he, he knew what the needs were and they would be met by the gifts of those who worship. They worshiped the Savior, King Jesus. Does that help you understand part of what we do and our attitude of giving? Say, listen, why would I give that to a person? You're not giving it to a person. You're giving it to Christ. They worship the Savior, King Jesus. But I want you to see this. Even more than them giving their time and their talents and their treasure, more important even maybe than those gifts is they gave Jesus their trust. Wise men, wise women still worship God like that. They, they were trusting him. They were seeking. They were diligent. They were prepared to give something. They didn't come empty-handed. And they worshiped and they trusted. They believed that they had found the king. I want you to, I want you to identify uh, in their worship, in their trust, I want you to see some things um, that characterize how they, they worship. They, they gave their trust. They idolized the king. They idolized the king. To idolize means to worship as a God. To, it broadly means to love or to admire, to adore, to revere, to exalt, to hallow, to cherish. Behold the king. Do you see that in um, verse 10? They saw the star. They were overjoyed. They came to the house. Look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child. Behold the king. They saw him. And immediately their response was, they bowed down and they worshiped him. They gave their trust. They idolized the king. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 tell the story. This whole idea of, of God's love. See, they saw the king. To know God, to see God is to know God. To know God is to know that God is love. When you realize that God loves you and in response to his first, love, first move of love toward you, you see him and you know him and you love him, you worship him. Ephesians 3 talks about this. It says, may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, to see him, to behold the king, to know how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. That you would experience the love of Christ, though it's too great, 
to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So this whole idea of, of beholding even the love of God, so you see how, how wide and long and high and long this, this love of God is. And he said, but even when you look at him and you gaze and you behold the king, even, even after you study that, um, you know, and you hang on to that and you behold the king, there's a point where you and I in our, um, in our finite minds are, are, are even gonna fall short of that. The depth of his love is, talks about the in, intensity of his love. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2, God who is rich in mercy loved us so much that he gave his life. When you, when you think about who this Christ child is, that your response to him is worship. They bowed down and worshiped. I referred to this a little bit already in Isaiah. The king, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. <laughs> And they worshiped. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. When they beheld, when he beheld him, he worshiped him. He goes on to say, I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And he worshiped. The result of trust and belief was worship. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Is it possible for you to behold the king, to see who he is? Yes. And I love this passage in John chapter 1 where the gospel writer, John, says this. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So behold, you, you and I, you have, if God will, will give you grace to have the scales of of this world, uh, the sin of this world, fall from your eyes so you can see him. Listen, he came to the world. He's the one that created the world. This, this creator, this baby, this, this Jesus in this manger throne is the one who was present at creation. He didn't just come into existence, you know, when he was born of his mother. He, he is eternally existent. It blows your mind. He is eternally existent. That is, um, um, uh, you know, not only having to do with the future, but he's eternally existent in the past, always has been, never been a time, there's never been, God, God is. And so here he is, and so he, he's the creator God. Now he's looking at this manger throne, so listen, you behold who he is. Listen, that's not just, that's not just uh, a, a child born to Mary, um, you know, it, a virgin child. It's, it's not only a, a child being raised by Joseph and having other brothers, that this is the creator, I mean, behold your king. Are you kidding me? And so the true light of light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Here he was, born in a manger. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. How many of you know that you were made by God? From the very foundation of the earth, he knew your name. He made you, created you, has a plan for you, has a purpose for you. You're not here by accident. You're not a mistake. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now watch this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed, 
in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so the, world, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And yet to, to all to who, who did receive him, to those who believed, this, this provenient grace of God that makes it possible for you to see him and seek him, the saving grace of God that makes it possible for you to believe in him for salvation, this good news. I want you, I want you to see their worship, just real quickly, their pattern of worship. There was discernment in their worship. Their worship was manifest with discernment. You see, when, when it all came down to it, they forsake all their other relationships to gain Christ, these wise men. So you can see that an earthly king was excused and an eternal king was exalted you can see the chief priests and the scribes they were ignored and the chief redeemer was identified the secular view was rejected and the sacred view was accepted their worship was manifest with discernment there was discernment in their worship who is this they saw him this is the christ child the worship was also manifest in allegiance. They gave Jesus their allegiance. They weren't satisfied with looking at a star and admiring a star. It wasn't about the star. They were first searching for a savior, and they pledged their allegiance. They weren't just stargazers. They were a savior getter. They said, listen, I'm, I'm after the savior. They, they set out to follow the star until they found the savior. They didn't give up. They persevered. They didn't get discouraged. They were optimistic. They didn't get sidetracked. They were determined. Herod, Herod displayed open hatred toward Jesus. That was jealousy. The religious were hostile toward Jesus. That was their pride. The world was indifferent toward Jesus. That had to do with ignorance. The wise men, they persevered. They pledged allegiance. They promenaded on until the star stopped at the place where the savior was, and then they worshiped. In diligence. Notice their worship also was manifest by obedience. In verse 12, they're being obedient to a heavenly dream. They leave without serving Herod as Herod's informants. Having been warned in dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Their worship was characterized, made manifest by obedience. And then notice their worship is manifest through belief. Immediately they worship. There's a sense of urgency. Worship him now, not later. It didn't say, listen, when they saw him, they formed a committee and you know, did some other stuff and went you know, you know, to Taco Bell and then after that came back. When they saw him, they worshipped. When you see, when you, here's, how, here's how you know, when you have seen the Christ and you know who, and you see who he is and you understand more of who he is, you've looked at both sides of the coin the right response, the immediate response, really the only response is worship. Worship. What is interesting, if you look at Matthew 2, this text here, and Luke 2, we referred to Luke 2 a time or two. Luke 2 is Dr. Luke's account of the angels announcing to the shepherds that Christ was born. The shepherds, the Jews, this account in Matthew is the wise men, the Gentiles. These were Greeks. These were not Jews. There's something very significant about that. Paul said in Romans, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. To anyone who believes, 
first to the Jew and also the Greek. I want you to focus on something more than just the Jews and the Greeks. Again, um, the birth of Christ. He said he came to his own. He, you know, he, he, the birth of Christ was announced to the Jews first, those lowly shepherds, and then later to the, the wealthy and the wise and the Gentiles. But more than focusing on Jews and Greeks, focus on the word everyone. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul uses an interesting word there, everyone. You do the Greek on that one. You know what it means? Everyone. You and me, all of us, all y'all. The gospel is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes. Now, folks, I just got to say that that is exhilarating. Everyone. To anyone who feels that, that there's something that rules them out. Maybe they would say, well, I, I grew up in the wrong family, or I have the wrong background, or the wrong education, or the wrong language, or the wrong race, or the wrong culture, or the wrong sexual preference, or the wrong moral track record, anything wrong. And then to hear the words, anyone who believes, everyone who believes. Those are powerful words. The gospel writer in John chapter 3 affirms it this way when he says, whoever believes in him, for God so loved the world that who the world that whosoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Now watch this. There is one thing that can rule you out, and that's unbelief. Unbelief is not trusting in Jesus. Nothing else has to, though. The good news that Christ died for our sins, he rose from the dead, gave us eternal life. Anyone who believes, not just the Jews. Not just Gentiles, no one race, no social class, no culture, but everyone who believes. Do you believe? When, when you behold the king, their worship of him was connected to what they believed about him and who he was. I love the old hymn uh, with the title, I Know Whom I Have Believed. You know that song? I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary days or golden days before his face I see. I know not, know, I, I know not when my Lord may come at night, or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Their worship was characterized by belief in him. When you believe in who you have seen, the Christ, the Savior, you bow and worship. Christian hope of eternal life is found in a person. That person is Jesus Christ. We celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas because he is the king. It's a big deal. It's not a mere story. This isn't folklore. It's not a dry doctrine written in an ancient history book. It's not based on shallow emotionalism. It's not merely a philosophy of living. The Christian hope is found in a person, Jesus Christ. Christmas is his story. The birth of Christ is a historical 
fact of God coming to earth in human form. It is undeniable. It is undebatable. It is prophetically proclaimed. It is providentially accomplished. It is promised, sealed, and delivered. Behold your king. Behold your king. Coming to save people because God loved us. I'm going to ask the team, those who are prepared to serve communion this morning, if they would uh, just help us get ready for that moment. We're going to celebrate who Christ is. When you see Christ, you think about his birth at Christmas, a baby in a manger throne. Do you behold the king? What is your response to him? When talking about our salvation, and we ask or asked to explain or describe it. I like at the end of one of Alistair Begg's sermons, he, he addresses this issue. He says, when, if we would begin to talk about our salvation, and if, if we began to talk about it in the first person, we would already be messing it up. So in other words, if, if we say things like, when it comes to our salvation, well, my faith, or I believe, or I received, or I am saved, or I confessed, or I love God. If we begin to start talking about our salvation in the first person, we show we do not understand the cradle or the cross. Instead, we should begin talking about salvation in the third person. Not what I have done, it's what he has done. It was God who loved us first while we were sinners, before we were born even, much less born again. It is God's Son who came to us, not we to him. It's God grace, God's grace that saves us, not our works. It is not what we have done, it's all about what he has done. It's not what we're doing, it's what he has done. It's, you see, the origin of our salvation is not dependent on you, it's completely dependent on Him. We should talk about what Christ has done. Believe in that, put your faith in that. My, my faith, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. The good news is so good because it's done. Watch this, the essential message of Christianity is not do, Sometimes as Christians, we get that messed up. I understand we're studying the book of James. You show me your faith by what you believe. I'll show you what I do. The, the essential message of, of salvation is not what you do. It's about what has been done. And so you remember this Christ, whom the wise men, the shepherds, the wise men, when they beheld the king they bowed and worshiped he grew up he lived a sinless life 
for around roughly 30 years of age, he began a public ministry. Carried that on for three, three and a half years, best we can tell. All of that led him to a point from the manger to the cross. And remember the words of Christ just before he, he committed his, his life, his spirit to God. He said, um, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But he also, right before that, he talked about, before he died, he said, it is finished. What is finished? What he came to earth to do. The reason he was born, the reason we celebrate a cradle crown, a cradle throne, is because he was born to live, to die, to finish paying the price for your sin and my sin, that we might have a relationship with God. The good news is, it's, it's not a news flash to get to work, it's a news flash that says it is finished. It's not the horn that starts the day, it's the horn that sounds the fact that, hey, this is a wrap. <laughs> One more time, the horn of the Holy One will sound. We're waiting for that trumpet sound. The Father alone knows, and time will be no more, and King Jesus will return, and the world will behold the King. You and I today bow our knees before Him and serve Him and we celebrate him. I'm going to ask those who are serving simply to come to the front and they're going to be passing trays of communion elements to you. There's grape juice and unleavened bread and uh, there's two, two cups in each uh, space there. Take both cups. The bread is underneath in the bottom cup. The, the grape juice is in the top. Elements for worship. Um, help those around you. Um, serve one another. It's a picture of Jesus with the towel serving one another. Um, he had washed the disciples' dirty feet. He had, um, you know, the towel and basin are powerful symbols. And even as you, thank you, you serve others, helping them, um, that's a picture of Christ. Prepare your heart for worship. We talked about this last week. Just be able to prepare your heart for this morning, communion. You don't need to be a member of Summit Church to share in communion today. But you should be a believer in Jesus Christ, one who has beheld the King. You too bowed your head and your heart to worship Him. And then just use these moments um, as others are being served around you to behold the King.
behold the king. so much to those who are serving faithfully, carefully. Thankful this morning for those who prepared these elements, who came in God, use them to help us worship today. Thank you. Jesus, at a common meal, it was a time of celebration of Passover, um, celebrating how God had delivered his people in the past, um, celebrating the fact that in Egypt, the, the death angel had passed over those that had blood applied to the doorposts of their house. They had a, there was a sacrificial lamb. There was an innocent, an innocent animal, a lamb, that had given its life for this sacrifice. And um, it was Passover. That was in their hearts and their minds. Jesus had, had eaten a common meal with his disciples. And at the end of the meal, he, he has served them, and, and then he gets their attention. And he, Jesus said, yeah, I have one more thing, fellas, before we leave. One more thing. And he takes bread and he breaks it, and the image of that is poignant. And he goes, this is my body. Now they already knew, they've heard, they've already heard Jesus talk about this. They've heard him say things like, you know, and... You know, the temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days and all these things. And yet, already not yet, they, but my body being broken for you. And they watched that play out as Christ was beaten and he was body hung on a cross. His flesh was torn. Nail holes in his hands, feet, spear in his side. His body, well, he said, this is my body broken for you. Not a bone was broken, it also was prophetic. Um, but his body was broken for us. And he said, I, I'm going to give this to you, and I want you to do this and remember to me. He set, he set a celebration. <laughs> um, before all this played out, he said, here's how it's going to go down. And um, what a poignant picture for us today. So thank you, Lord, for taking on flesh, being born in a manger, dying on the cross for a sin, bearing our burden on cross and you died and thank you oh God that you not only had the authority to lay your life down but you had the authority to pick it back up and because you live we also live for what you've done for us we remember and we worship let's eat together
they might have thought that was the end, but Jesus took the cup and he said, let me make this perfectly clear. The wine, the grape juice, the color is impossible to miss. He said, this is a new covenant I'm making with you. Covenant in my blood. Um, what washes away sin? Innocent blood shed for the guilty. In the Old Testament sacrifice, that's what happened. In the New Testament, Christ become the, became the sacrificial lamb. Born to live, to die, to live again. And the hope we have is, even though he died, he rose again. He said, if you believe in me, even though you die like everyone else, you'll not really die. I'll give you eternal life. And he offered the cup to them and he said, I'm going to pay for this with my own blood. I'm going all the way to the cross, to the grave. I'm going to rise again. There's power in the blood of Jesus to wash away sin. If you believe in him, behold your king. So Jesus, we remember today and we celebrate who you are and what you've done. And that God, what you've done is done. And we're holding on today knowing that you're holding on to us. We worship you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Let's drink together. Team's going to come and lead us in our closing song. Here's a question. <laughs> what face is on a penny? What direction does it face? What building's on the back? Ah. Big deal. You can get on in life without knowing the answer to all that. But here's a question for you. What child is this? What child is this? And if you can answer and you know, ah, behold, the King, it will change your life. It will change your eternity. I want you to celebrate with me as we close our service this morning, as we sing that Christmas carol with that truth, asking the question, what child is this? And then the answer, this, this is Christ the King. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 